Hey there, I'm Roger Warner. I'm a director here at Lewis Football Club. And I'm joined today by Shamima Yusuf, who is a sports psychologist who has recently worked with a variety of different organisations, but Brighton Football Club, right? That's right. Thanks, Roger, for uh, the introduction. Yes, sports psychologist and worked in uh, numerous sports settings, very much in my own practice at the moment. Right. OK, cool. And yeah, I've been speaking to a number of different people around the club and players in particular, and it's been great the last sort of six months or so got to know folks a lot more and their stories through doing these these podcasts and I'm really interested to chat to you because I'm fascinated about this side of sport and uh, you've been doing this for quite some time right? Yes I sort of was it now seven years back from the United States where I spent a few years training and working within the system there before I returned to the UK and yeah ever since I've set up a small practice and and then worked with with a few different organizations right. and, and, and this is like across different sports right it's not just football. yes no. yeah across different sports it's been predominantly I, I see a lot of tennis players so in our in our earlier chat when you uh, spoke about uh, you know tennis parents it, it, it kind of uh, made me chuckle okay. <laughs> so yeah I, I i work a lot with with tennis players and i've done quite a bit in you know i've done some in swimming cycling tends to be in private practice a lot more individual sports okay that i work in or with but then you know as i said i've, I've worked in football with brighton yeah. i i work with the zimbabwean olympic committee right yeah um, in support of their, you know, their programs as well. Yeah, cool. So I mean, I, I guess, and I'm sure from my perspective, at least in, in the last seven years or so, this whole field of sports and psychology has has changed quite a lot. I, yeah. I, I imagine, right? And and so whilst now it's more it's more normal. In the past, it it, it wouldn't have been. But yeah, what's 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 changed in that timeline? It must be a really great time to be involved in this area of of sport you know it's interesting it it definitely is a good time to be in in this area of sport and and it's interesting because seven years ago on my return from the states to the UK I I was almost having to convince people what sports psychology is is and, and what it isn't and why it's important and it seemed to me at that point it was still very academic right so there was a lot of great research out there, but not a lot being done to implement that uh, and, and to deliver that. And so there, there weren't a lot of jobs. There wasn't a lot of funding being put behind it. And it, it's almost as if you had to go in and speak to organizations and convince them yeah. that this was a needed part of, you know, helping athletes to perform at their best. Yeah. And to do so, not just perform at their best, but to do so with well-being. Right. Yeah. Um, what kind of stuff? Now, what, sorry. So yeah, what kind of stuff were you doing back then to, like, you got to prove it? But then, what did you end up doing with the with the people that you were working with, with the athletes that you were working with, or the teams? And... Yeah, you know, the thing is, I, 
I think it was really important for me to go and understand various environments. When I was out there talking to a lot of these organizations, it was really more about speaking to the coaches, speaking to different people within in those setups about, you know, what are they doing? I'm really trying to get a sense of what are they trying to achieve and what are they doing? And is there something within that setup and that system that they felt that was missing? It, it it wasn't really, I was trying not to do the window sales, you know, sort of pitch because as much as anything, you know, it's about seeing if there's a need and a fit. Yeah. So, so really learning from those environments to see whether there was something that I could add value with. Yeah. And, and, and when I talk about adding that value, it's really working so, so my philosophy is, you know, and everyone's got a, a slightly different philosophy in this field. Mm. And my philosophy from day one has always been performance to well-being and that well-being part being really, really important to me. So not just having a performance narrative, but really thinking about one's health and well-being around that in that performance domain. Uh-huh. So the work that I uh, really do with my athletes and in organizations often is I try to work if I'm within an organization I try to work systemically so uh, really thinking about all the other parts that that come into play so working holistically uh-huh. what's around the player who has input with that player and and it, as much as anything it's about relationships yeah sure yeah, um, yeah. What so what what factors do you t- t- go into the mix? There's again speaking from a football perspective and speaking from a fan perspective as well. Then there are all these other things like you know the, the game in the UK has gone through uh, some very sort of definite chapters where it's like diet suddenly no, nobody thought about diet. Then it's like oh diet yeah yeah of course right diet diet affects well being facilities sleep you know all this different yeah. stuff which uh, one would be re- reading about from the outside but what kind of stuff goes in into the into the mix what are you what are you looking at yeah i mean you know it's it's everything from those things that you speak about the psychological social and physical aspects of the game as it were so you know when we talk about uh the physical side of the game you know you, you recognize that the the players have strength and conditioning coaches around them, may right. have uh, physios around them to help them through injuries or, or any niggles. And, and they're monitoring well-being aspects in terms of how much an athlete is sleeping. Is it quality sleep or not? You know, what do those sleep cycles look like? They're concerned with, you know, because elite athletes have quite a rigorous training program through the season so they're concerned with muscle fatigue and soreness Mm -hmm. so that's part of a well-being check-in you might be concerned with aspects that you know are they eating well hydrated well so you know some some athletes are tested on those things you know some programs really test for those things Mm -hmm. but then there's other things in their social environments and wider environments that you might be concerned with so for instance social media use Mm -hmm. How active are players on social media and are they active in a very positive way, you know, and engaging in a healthy way, healthy way, or are they really getting caught up in, in you know, some difficult yeah. um, discussions online, if you like, that are affecting 
their concentration and their, their stress levels and so on. So it's really about educating on that front as well. And then as a, as a psychologist, I'm, I'm interacting with all those different people around the player. So, you know, interacting with the coaches and understanding what the coaches' needs are, but then also recognizing that each of the players have their own needs and they're an individual. So, of course, uh, what works for one person may not work for the other person. So really calling out to individual needs. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and with, then, yeah. I was going to ask, with football, you mentioned earlier um, that there's the difference between, or you work with individual athletes and then teams. And so is, yeah. it, a, is it a different type of engagement or are you always dealing on an individual, an individual basis or are you doing this as a, a, a more, more, more team? No, I think, I think you're... Um, in, in even in individual sports, there is a team around the individual. Mm-hmm. So, so my preference, um, although I have a private practice, and and often in private practice, people reach out to you uh, as an individual. The athlete reaches out to me, or the parent will reach out to me and engage me. Right. But I try very early on in 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 our conversations to ascertain, you know. You know, is is are you open for me to engage with the coach, or or you know, would the coach like some some conversation and engagement with me? And I'm also trying to understand very much so, you know, what, what the environment around the athlete is, so that if if needs, there is a way to engage with those systems or, or those those other people with the consent of the athlete to help them thrive in their environment. Now, that's not always feasible. Don't get me wrong. You know, the, the parent or the athlete may say to say, no, 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 we just want to, you know, it's just about you and me. And so then I help them and give them uh, the tools and techniques that they may need right. to go back into those environments and, and, and thrive yeah. in, in their sport. But I, I do think, you know, organizationally, there's a big, big part of the environment that, that can impact one's well-being and their performance yeah got it and with, with regards to football what aspects make this a, a, a good thing for the guys to be doing and a good thing that to make a competitive difference i don't uh, personally my philosophy i don't i don't divide up performance and well-being okay i think it's for me it, it, it is very much an interplay between the two of them because i think if you don't have a sense of well-being and you don't feel that you are well, maybe I should I should start by sort of saying what I think yeah. mental health and well-being is actually because yeah. I think there's these terms are used so loosely without people really understanding and and I think a lot of people think that mental health is about you know illness right and there's, there's been this stigma attached to the words previously and whereas mental health is a, is a sort of state of well-being in in which an individual can realize uh, their own abilities and, and, and their potential, and they have the ability and the resources to cope with stresses in everyday life, have a, uh, have a way of sort of working productively, and, and they have the sense that they are con- contributing to something bigger than themselves and mm. contributing to community. Mm. And I think when you think of it in those terms, you can see how that that... that then can impact one's performance if you if you yeah. like you know, in 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 the way that they go about achieving uh, milestones in 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 either their sport and achieving goals in, in life in general 
So for me, the, the, it's, it's a balance between, and it's a constant balance between, do I have the resources to meet with the challenges in life? Mm-hmm. And you're almost on this, this scale. And as soon as the challenges tip, in, you know, tip over and become a little bit too heavy, how do you develop those resources to help you come back into an equilibrium state? Gotcha, yeah. And so that's a lot of what I'm trying to do when I'm speaking with athletes or working even even with with staff around the athletes. Mm. It's about, you know, if they're feeling a, a little overwhelmed or or their you know the challenges are, are greater than they, what they perceive to have in terms of their coping mechanisms, how can I help them? one have a perspective on what they can manage right here right now and and what they can do to help themselves uh, rebalance if you like yeah yeah and do you think that we're there yet in terms of um you know all of those things that you mentioned and the there's a lot of stigma attached particularly in sport and and if i think about your male sport probably Mm. more so than women are we are we in that place yet where we can look that broadly and take these things on board and appreciate them and value value them. It's a very enlightened view, right? That you yeah. have all of these different factors when when these... uh, I think we've come a long way. Yeah, I, I think we have come a long way. Mm. Uh, we still have a long way to go for sure. But I think there's a lot more dialogue just in general, not just in sport, in in society at large about mental health being really important. A lot of me- measures being taken at a national level in policy. Uh, an expenditure on mental health initiatives, recognizing that we all need to talk and we all need support in our lives. And actually, I look forward to the day when, you know, people think of, you know, exercise is the mantra of, you know, get good exercise and we'll keep ourselves healthy. Well, you know, I, I look forward to the day when people think, oh, you know, I'm going to do my, my, have my, mental health check-in you know uh, and, and or my counseling check-in as yeah. a normal routine thing to sort of keep themselves healthy yeah. we're not there yet yeah. no yeah. and people seek out a psychologist or a mental health counselor call, call, call them what you want only when they feel that they're struggling with something when rather a, than when there's a problem yeah there's a problem. right as opposed to thinking of it as coaching training Absolutely, part of the fabric of uh, that's right of, of, of how a club would uh, work, work and run. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I've um, I have a lot of athletes at, at the elite level <coughs> who who will contact me only when something's wrong, and they'll say, "Oh, I've got I've got a you know a big game coming up, or I've got a tournament coming up, and you know, and I you know fix me. I need your help." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I've had that a couple of times. I mean, I, as I said, I'm quite involved in tennis. And, and I remember one grass court season getting a call days before Wimbledon was about to start. Yeah. And they just said, oh, I'm having a problem. Uh, I don't want to be on the court. Fix me. <laughs> yeah. It's and, a tough gig. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when you sort of realise <laughs> that actually it's not about fixing someone it's about actually integrating a lot of these techniques and and ways of uh living our life uh on a daily basis to help us thrive in society yeah yeah got it i I was chatting to you earlier about being interested in how 
this as a practice can help people develop. And many years ago, I was involved in the game and I didn't develop. And I grew up with lots of people who did develop. And I've seen, yeah. you know, people you know, kick on and others uh, and others not. And when I think about this, there, there's, none of these tools existed when I was then. And, you know, so, OK, well, it's a different time. But still, we have an environment where in both our men's teams and our women's teams across the pathway, you have people from all walks of life, you know, and they all carry different experiences, you know, mm -hmm. different values, different baggage and you know, good and bad yeah. and so on. And as you say, with sports psychology being about a package which integrates lots of different things, you're always dealing with people and kids with like different makeups. So I'm really interested in the things that work to help people move on. You see a lot of children in sport who struggle to manage their emotions or who struggle with distraction. And when they're being asked to really focus on tasks and, and, and commit in that moment, some are better able to do so than others or when they're in a match situation or in competition scenario and there are others that will rise to the occasion and enjoy it and and then you know others that really crumble under the pressure yeah. or, or you know get a lot very anxious or stressed in in that sort of environment so the tools that one can engage with and and, and can can use in those moments will be techniques that may help them to really focus on the task at hand. Mm. So being present, staying present and really managing what they can manage there and then rather than being distracted by things that really they can do nothing about. Yeah. So techniques such as thinking about and being curious about what dialogue is going on in our heads what is our self-talk if you like yeah. you know what is the chatter in our heads and, and the people that we speak with the most during the course of our days ourselves yeah so is that chatter healthy or is it unhealthy yeah is it really motivating or is it really quite critical of ourselves yeah so that's one technique that i really try and develop from a young age with with young athletes is to to really become more aware of what is the internal dialogue mm -hmm. and then with with curiosity rather than berating yourself or feel, feeling guilty about it being quite accepting of it that you know we all talk to ourselves okay but how can we actually make it healthier for ourselves so can it be more instructional to help me get back and focused in the moment and at the, and, and in the task at hand or can it be uh, more motivational what do i need to help me get back to what i need to be doing yeah yeah, yeah that's that's it's fascinating do, do you find differences between i i, I work with the uh, women's team at, at lewis yeah. are there differences between gender on that score or differences about in i'm interested in different sports you know is one that self-talk is it more prevalent in tennis versus football or do you, or do you yeah. find it's just down to the individual? You know, I've just given you one 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 aspect of it, self-talk. But I mean, you know, there's the managing of emotions as well. So mm. how do we recognize what emotion that is showing up in us? When, when I ask a, a, a young athlete a lot of the time, tell me how you're feeling. They can't describe it. Mm. So I give them the tools to, to recognize what emotion is that they're, they're experiencing by 
by checking in with their body. So recognizing, for instance, if you're feeling angry, how does it show up in your body? Or if you're feeling anxious, how does that show up physiologically in your body? You know, maybe some tense shoulders or, you know, knots in your gut or sweaty armpits. You know, what is it that, that actually starts to happen in your body when you experience some of these emotions? And then we, we talk through how we identify and label some of those emotions. So when you're better able to uh, recognize it, then you know you've got something to work with. Yeah. So even with the self-talk, it's about, first of all, raising your awareness around it, recognizing what, you know, taking, taking a moment to, to be curious about what is it I'm experiencing. Yeah. So it's one, raising that awareness, but you, you bring in an interesting sort of dynamic. You sort of say, you know, is it different between um, boys and male and female? Yeah. I'm not sure that it's different in, in the way that they recognize or, or are aware of what's happening. It may be diff slightly different in the way that they attend to it. Right. In that, for instance, we know that there's some research out there that, that suggests that if a female is going through some stress and, and difficulty, their way of dealing with stress may be to tend and befriend. Right. So we call it tend and befriend. So in other words, they'll find someone that they can talk through their difficulties with, right. share their, their, their struggle with. Yeah. And, and be more open about talking about those emotions. That's not to say, and again, I, I really make this point that we don't want to overgeneralize, yeah, but sure. recognize that that may be going on. Whereas boys, because, and it's, it's down to, um, a lot of this is down to the sort of neurobiological aspects of the brain. Mm. Boys are, are quite cognitive. So they, they may have a lot more thoughts or, or, or thought processes going on. Mm. And, and then really focus on, want to just get to a task and, and, and you know, ex, get on with the task. Whereas you'll find with females that they'll talk a little bit around that and communicate more around that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I have noticed a bit of that, yeah. um, that difference when working individually in my practice. But, but again, I'm very, very cautious in and not sort of simply, yeah. you know, generalizing that yeah. that's because that's because they're a boy. I really need to understand more about their backgrounds and their, their environments. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, probably it makes for a different mix, like a different team experience, perhaps. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, we're very fortunate at Lewis. We have both men and women's team. We have a very strong culture there. It's very productive. There's some great characters, good characters. So, yeah. And, and how about now in, in this, you know, we find ourselves in here six weeks in or whatever in lockdown mode. And, you know, with any athlete, footballers, you know, their groove is to be together and they're out yeah. there playing. And then suddenly they find themselves indoors and our coaching is, is difficult. You know, the guys are running fitness programs and Maggie, our GM, who, who you know, is doing lots of great things to keep the guys active and involved. Same on the men's yeah. side, you know, virtual meetups and so on. But yeah, suddenly that this is that you can't do this job by Zoom, right? So, like, how's it? How 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 are you finding it with the people that you're working with? What, you know, I've, I've been running some some webinars, Roger, and and we we talk a lot about uncertainty, and you know, I don't think anyone is comfortable with 
this sort of uncertainty but we you know some uncertainty we, we're used to but yeah. but the kind of uncertainty uh, uncertainty that we've all been asked to deal with or, or we're all living through is is is, is none of us in our lifetime have faced you know yeah. so it's really it's about narrative what is our narrative so what how are we talking about things you know uh, and are we talking about things? Are we recognizing that it's okay right now if we don't feel so productive? Mm. You know, you might get up during, you know, at, at the start of the day hoping to achieve five tasks and, and you may only get through two tasks, mm. you know, and, and that's okay. But to to set out that you're going to try and get through something is probably uh, the best way to start your day yeah. to try and have a routine to try and be productive and use the time to really develop ourselves so yeah. when, we, when we talk about footballers for instance who are so used to being out on the pitch and, and being active very physically active and right now those routines have been changed up it's it's really about them finding a new routine and that new routine i mean some clubs are are, are very lucky and, and very fortunate they you know they've set up a whole lot of programs to give those players a routine through the course of the day still mm. others have had to find their own routines but it is possible and and i was listening in to you know arsenal been running some great webinars right uh, it's like a conference a medical conference over the last few weeks and they've had some great speakers who have come on and presented on, on some of the research out there and and some of the research out there has suggested that you know to maintain adaptation we don't need to really train at the same sort of volume level okay. so you know, the same amount of training is impossible right now in you know given the circumstances we're in and if you reduce that to a third of your normal load but are intense with it Mm. and really deliberate and intentional with it with high moderate high to moderate sort of activity level Mm. you know cardio level as well and intensity level then you can prolong that adaptation Right. And 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 almost, I think they sort of said six to eight weeks okay. beyond what if you did nothing, yeah. and, and you 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 just let go of all training, you're likely to lose that sort of muscle fitness and that mm. that whole sort of not just muscle fitness, physiological fitness mm. after four four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's about recognizing that you can adapt, and there. Are, you know, you can keep your motor skills going. It's not just biomechanical. It's about your physiology as well. So, you know, if you are um, in a high cardio sport, then going for a run that raises that, you know, physiological response is probably going to be good for you. If you're in a sport like shooting, for instance, that's more of a mental sport. You know, it's really about fine-tuning your, 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 your stillness and your calm and your focus skills. So really paying attention to some of the cognitive work. But I think the research out there is very clear that, you know, to maintain fitness, you want to work on the biomechanics, the physiology of your, you know, phys- 
physiological fitness as well as your cognitive fitness. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Listen, thank you so much. It's, it's really smashing um, chatting to you. There's some real nuggets there. And I'd love to, we could talk all day actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'm sure, I hope to, to yeah, we'll be chatting some more as well. But yeah, it's really interesting for for our players and all of our all of the guys who work at the club, but also fans and owners too. I'm sure they're fascinated by this side of the sport and particularly yeah, these things that you're talking about for for the now. So you have a private practice, right? So I just wanted yeah. to finish by starting. How how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more or chat to you or become a client? Oh well, that's that's uh, uh, good of you to ask, Roger. I'm my private practice is Empower to Perform. Okay. Uh, named such because I, I do think it's not about me always prescribing things it's really empowering my clients to go away and feel that they have the tools at their ready to use you know uh, and they feel empowered to do so and I'm based in southwest London although I see clients uh, everywhere around London face to face when we can not at the moment yeah. <laughs> and and I do a lot of virtual consultation and I always have done okay. um, it's not that just because we're in this period that I'm doing virtual consultation, I, it's always been a method of um, delivery for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, well, have but, a website empowered to perform. Um, on there's my details. Okay, cool. Well, we'll 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 put this on put this on the Lewis FC website, and I'll I'll be sure to put a link in there. Uh, so that people can yeah i i yeah great yeah. Uh, i'm on i'm on i'm on the, the various social media platforms yeah. okay in a good and healthy way right in a good and healthy <laughs> way exactly exactly okay well that's that's awesome shamima th thank you so much and um, thanks Richard. yeah look after yourself yeah nice to, nice to chat take care okay. bye